All right, if you'll turn with me to this morning's passage in John, chapter 6, reading the first 14 verses, Pastor Tyrone shares the message, Surviving Life's Impossibilities. Again, we're in John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. You can find it in your pew Bible, beginning on page 613. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, that a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray. God, we just come this morning, Lord, we praise you for all the wondrous things that you do. Lord, we just ask that you would reveal through your word, Lord, how we can look to the impossibilities of life, God, and see uh, the work that you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, can you believe it? Here it is, the second Sunday of uh, 2012, and I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I'm glad to be here myself. Uh, a couple of Sundays ago, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, was uh, Christmas Day, and now today we look at to the end of our past and the beginning of a new year. So let me ask you this morning, what kind of uh, year did you have uh, last year? One that you cherish, or a year that you want to quickly uh, forget? Well, whatever it was, there is now, of course, hope that a new year will bring a change for all of us, a chance for a fresh new start and a brand new beginning. And with that, many of us will make a new year resolutions, pledges, promises to ourselves or uh, to God uh, that we will personally be, of course, uh, different this year. This, of course, is a time that many make New Year's resolutions. A son called his parents to wish them a happy new year, and when his dad answered the phone, he asked his dad, well, dad, what's your new year's resolution? And his dad said that it is to make your mother as happy as I can all year. When his mom got on the phone, he asked her the same question. His mom replied, well, my resolution is to see that your dad keeps his New Year's resolution. (laughs) 
So as we enter into this new year, great opportunities, of course, lie ahead. Great challenges will confront us. Many disappointments, of course, are going to occur. And all these, and probably much more. And this morning, perhaps, some of us are anticipating great challenges and uh, more blessings this year. But I believe that the question is this. Whatever we expect this year, what will we do for ourselves this year to improve our performance over the past year? And one of the ways is, I believe, living our impossibilities that we may have already or may come, that they may come into our lives this year by believing God. I want to make a statement at the beginning of the message. You and I are faced with a lot of great opportunities. And I tell you, many will come this new year. But they will be brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. How many times we have found ourselves all bogged down in our spiritual life and growth simply because the challenges before us really look absolutely impossible? Let me ask you this morning. Are you walking lamely? when you ought to be walking real strong? Are you crying when you could be whistling and laughing? Are you being defeated by your problems? Are you facing frustrations that are discouraging you and heartaches that are depressing you? Are you bored with life? Are you tired of living, lacking zeal and excitement? Well, you see, such frustrations, of course, are not new. And if you're not currently in such a situation, well, just hold on, it won't be until you will be. If things seem a little difficult today, well, they'll soon be impossible. Impossible circumstances, impossible situations really aren't unusual. So here's the question. How do you and I handle them? Where do we get the faith to meet them? Well, I want to answer these questions, and I want us to face our impossibilities by, of course, believing in God. And to put everything into right perspective this morning, I would like for us to begin by looking at four key passages of Scripture that address the subject of impossibilities. And you might even say that these are impossible Scriptures, and two of them are found in the book of Jeremiah chapter 32, and then two are in the Gospel of Luke. Jeremiah, chapter 32, and then verse 17, if you want to open your Bibles there. And there we read the words, nothing is too hard or too difficult for God. There is nothing you can't do, is really what he's saying. Now, did you hear that? Are you realizing that whatever the things or things you are calling impossibilities are trumped or placed over what God says is nothing to Him? Now, it's really hard to translate or reconstruct in the English language the color and impact of the Hebrew words used in this particular verse. But the best we can do is know absolutely nothing for you is 
extraordinary and surpassing. Do you believe that this morning? What a great way to enter the new year realizing that when we give our petitions to God, we can rest in knowing that He can easily, you see, do it. Now what God does is He confirms this truth of Himself ten verses later. In verse 27, Now, in the first verse, it was Jeremiah who was speaking. But in this verse, it is the Lord speaking, and he's asking, is there anything too hard or too difficult for me? Now, God is asking you and me to substitute our impossibilities for the word anything. You fill in the blank. Is whatever you think is impossible in your life too hard? Too difficult for me, God is asking. And the implied answer, of course, is absolutely not. Nothing is too difficult for me. Now, you may be thinking this morning, Ah, sure, that's for Christians who have had miracles in the past. But you don't know my situation. Listen, I don't have to know your situation. All I need to know, and all you need to know is, God and His promises. He is Lord. And that is the bottom line of life. And nothing is too hard or difficult, you see, for Him. Now, I want to connect now those two passages in Jeremiah with this passage here in Luke. So get out your impossibilities, whatever they may be, and look at Luke chapter 1, verse 37. Here we find that the angel is speaking to Mary. It is an answer to Mary's question concerning her conception. And an angel appeared to her and said, Mary, you're going to bear the Christ child. And Mary asked, well, how in the world can this be since I am a virgin? How is that possible? And the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Oh, that's what we just read in Jeremiah. For nothing will be impossible with God. We're talking about God dealing with our impossibilities. To make that statement practical now for us, the the word nothing can be replaced with your and my situation. That means whatever it is, it is not impossible, you see, with God. Now go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse 27. Now keep this in mind here, that Jesus is speaking these words. And the things impossible, he says, with men are possible, he says, with God. Now going into this new year, think for a moment what you think seems impossible in your life. Something you think just can't happen. Now go back to these four verses. You have and I have seen and read them. And they are four promises of God Himself, four promises that God has given you and me as we go into this new world or new year. Each of them said virtually you see the same thing. Nothing is impossible with God. That includes everything, any impossibility. So let me ask you this morning, what is your impossibility? Is it your marriage? Is it your job, maybe? Is it your finances or retirement? 
Maybe uh, it's uh, keeping the house clean. You're finding that to be quite a chore. Keeping up with all the wash. Keeping up with the kids. Maybe the husband that you have. Or having a ministry with others. You're finding that uh, being involved in Awanas on Wednesday night is just overtaxing. Or being part of the praise team. Or other ministries of the church. Or how about a healing strain relationships with people. You just found out over the holidays that your conflict with the family is something else. They've always been there, but it really exploded over these holidays. Now, whatever your impossibility is, let me ask you, have you considered asking the Lord to handle that specifically and then totally leave it with Him in faith? Listen, if nothing is impossible with God, then what you are facing is not impossible with Him either. God can do something about it, ask Him to do it, and then trust Him to do it. So let me ask you, will you enter this new year with a renewed, fresh confidence in God with that specific impossibility? Now I believe that the secret to surviving these impossibilities in our lives is this. It's to learn to trust completely in the Lord and in what He says in His Word. And in the first part of John chapter 6 is what I call an impossible event. It's a familiar event to most all of us this morning. So let's look at the miracle this impossibility, and how we can apply this to our impossibilities this new year. First of all, we see in starting, starting with verses 1 through 9, the preparation for the miracle itself. And then in verses 1 through 4, we read how that a crowd gathers to Jesus near the Sea of Galilee. And it starts out saying, after these things, Jesus, you see, has just sent his disciples out to minister, to preach his name, to heal in his name. They have gone to all the towns and villages, and they have done exactly what Jesus has asked. And they have now come home, and they're really exhausted. And Jesus and his disciples both need some rest and relaxation, and they need some time away from their work. And so Jesus takes them aside to the sea, of Tiberias for a little retreat. Verse 3, we see that Jesus and disciples then went on a mountain to sit and relax. Now, don't think of those, that mountain being like the mountains of Colorado. It's not. They were nice, nice hills, you see. And the crowds find them. And all they were trying to do was to get away by themselves. That's all they were trying to do. But the crowd finds out about it, and uh, they come and find them. Now, here's the problem. You see, there isn't a high V around. There's not a price chopper. There's not a super Walmart or even a McDonald's. Not even a Starbucks for them to go to. And here they are in a barren place. And wouldn't you know it, the whole gang is hungry. And disciples, they just don't know anyone. They aren't aware of any source of food. I mean, they're in this desert place, and they're all by them. There's no place. You see, it's an impossible situation, 
And that's how Jesus, you see, wanted it. Why? I'll tell you why. Because those disciples are just like you and me. Oh, no, Lord. What on earth can we do? Now, that's the way we disciples look at it, isn't it? But Jesus saw it as a perfect opportunity for a classy miracle. Now, he had already explained to them that he was God's son, God in the flesh. And they had learned the theory back in their boot camp days with uh, Jesus. But now was their chance to see Jesus really in action. It was time for a sterile theory to be replaced by what I guess I would call solid reality. And so what Jesus does is he gives the disciples a test. And the first one to take the exam, we find in the Bible, says, was Philip himself. And so Jesus asked Philip a question in verse 5. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, have you ever wondered why Jesus asked Philip? I mean, why didn't he ask Judas? Now, Judas had the money. Remember, he was the treasurer in the charge of all the supplies. He was the big boy, you know. And I think Judas personally was the sharpest guy of all the twelve. So why didn't Jesus ask Judas? Well, before we answer that, look at verse 6, if you will, please. Because I believe it takes all the pressure off, you see. Verse 6. But this he said to what? Test him. For he himself knew what he would do. You see, Jesus knows all our circumstances. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, God says the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Jesus knows what you're facing today. And Jesus also knew what he was intending to do. He always does. Now listen, the learning process is for your and my benefit. He knows how we're going to wind up. But you see, he doesn't put us in some space-time machine and hurl us uh, to the end, uh, you see. What he does is he lets you and me grind and cra uh, crash through uh, that experience that we think is an impossibility. Remember, Jesus wants us to persist through the pressure, really trusting him during those impossible situations. So Jesus asked Philip, where are we going to find bread to feed them? Now, why Philip? Well, the Bible says to trust him or to test him, to prove him. You see, Jesus wanted to determine the depth of his faith. Jesus was testing Philip to see where his faith really was. Jesus wanted to determine, I wonder, has Philip learned how to trust me? Will Philip focus on me at this time? on my ability while standing neck deep in this impossibility. Well, the fact is, Jesus asked to test Philip because he already knew what he was going to do, you see. Now, he knows what he's going to do in your life and my life. Uh, you may not have discovered it as yet, but he knows what he is going to do. It may be that you are struggling this morning of some kind, really struggling, because he's testing you. And he tests you, listen to me careful now, 
He tests you and me to get us ready to receive what He has, you see, for us. Do you know that God brings things, and let's call them impossibilities, into the lives of His own just for the sake of tests and for no other reason? I call them tests of trust. And a test is to prove something. What is a test? It's it's a test to see if we really believe in Him. If we really trust Him. If we will put our whole focus on Him and and in His ability while we are neck deep in our impossibility. It's a test to see where our faith really is. It's a test to see if we really believe in God's power and that He is going to provide. And He will work it out to our benefit and His glory. Now, let me say this also. God will always test us just past our trust. Why? Let me tell you why. Because then He can take our trust and move it, you see, to that test. If I'm here with my trust to God, and He only tests me as far as I'm already trusting Him, I'll never get anywhere. What, God, what good would that do? I, I, I think to myself, man, I'm, a, I'm a, just a spiritual, spiritual guy. So what God does is He tests you and me just past our trust. That's what He does. Why? I'll tell you why. When, because then He can take our trust, right here, our trust, and move it to the test. The next time you get tested, you get tested just a little past that trust. And you can move out you see, a little bit farther. Now, here's the beautiful thing about it all. God never, now listen to me careful, God never tests you and me so far that we're going to blow our mind and explode. Why? Because, you see, He is going to bring something in your and my life to pull our trust up to that test. And then pretty soon, you and I will trust Him more and more and more. Let me ask you, is that so bad? That's pretty good. These are what I call tests of trust. But you might say, oh, Tyrone, I'm sure could get upset if God just keeps on testing me. I mean, that just seems kind of unfair. No, 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 no. James, if you remember, said, the trial of your faith, what brings patience? The testing doesn't upset you. Why? Tell you why. Because you see, you are knowing, you know this, that what God is doing in your impossibility situation, you know what He is doing. You know that God is testing you to bring your trust closer to Him. You know that God is allowing this trial to grow you in Him. And so the first thing that you and I need to do 
in our impossibilities is to trust God completely. Now I want to give just a little insight into Philip here. It makes us appreciate, I think, even more that Jesus asked him. Philip was the one who later said to the Lord, just let us see God and we won't have any more questions. So Philip was this fellow who had to see everything. You might call him a statistical pessimist. He had a slide rule for a mind. And if he could figure it all out, ah, that's great. And Philip never even answered Jesus' question here. He said 200 silver pieces wouldn't be enough to feed bread for each person to get a piece. That's not the question. The Lord asks, where are we going to get bread to feed these eight to 10,000 people, so to speak? And Philip said 200 dirhams will not be enough to feed them. Now, that's two different conversations here, folks. The Lord asked him, where do we go? And Philip's answer dwelt with how much? A dirhams was worth about 17 cents, they tell me. It equaled a man's daily wage. 17 cents times 200 is $34 in our terms. $34 wouldn't give each person a crumb or a cup of tea. Now, it was as though Philip was telling Jesus, if one would work from eight months to a year and take the proceeds from his earnings and buy bread, that it still wouldn't be enough to feed the multitude. Now, folks, there's nothing wrong in calculating unless the calculating excuses God or does not consider God, and that seems to be the case, I believe, here. So here we are. Here we see it. The statistical pessimist. All the Lord wanted Philip to say was this. Listen carefully now. This is all that the Lord wanted Philip to, uh, to say. I don't know, Lord. I don't know. It's impossible with me. But it's nothing for you, Lord. I'm going to wait and I'm going to see what you're going to do. You, Lord, are the specialist in situations like that. That's all that God Lord, wanted Philip to say. But that's not what Philip said. So now we come and we see Andrew's help in verses 8 through 9. The testing was not over. Andrew came on the scene and he was a different from Philip as night and day. Philip only saw the situation, the size of the problem. He did not remember how big God really was, you see. He was more, Philip was more convinced of what could not be done than what could be done. How many times we have been like Philip? I mean, all we see is the size. All we see is the situation of the problem. And boy, are we convinced it just can't be done. How many times we have forgotten, though, how big God really is? Now listen to me. The issue isn't whether or not this is impossible to you but whether or not it is possible to God. Remember Abraham? 
It seemed impossible for Sarah and him to have kids at their old age. Now, folks, I mean, you think you're old to have kids. They were old. But they still, as you know, they had uh, Isaac. And Paul said this. Listen to what Paul said about Abraham. He, Abraham, he didn't waver at the promises of God through unbelief. But what was? But he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that he had promised, or that he had promised he also was able to perform. Now, uh, I was thinking about this. Andrew, he did have, he had one strong thing going for him. I mean, any man who could talk a little feller out of his lunch must have some degree of persuasion. Wouldn't you think so? He said, here is this little feller with a little boy with five barley loaves and two small fishes. Now, how in the world did he know that? Well, I believe he must have been just looking at everybody's lunch, going through it. That's what he was doing. He'd probably been rustling through the crowd, seeing what was, you see. And so he approached the Lord and he said, Lord, here's five loaves and two fishes. But he didn't stop there. He went on and he said, Lord, how far do you think that is going to go among so many people? It's just too bad he didn't stop when he was ahead. He volunteered information here that he wasn't even asked. And the Lord didn't even answer him. Such little thinking, you see, really turned him off. Andrew said, what are they among so many? There isn't much to work with here. Five barley loaves and two little fishes. But folks, let me remind you, God doesn't need very much. We so many times, we look at the problem. And then uh, what we do is we compare the problem to the resources that we have at hand. Isn't that so? We never think about God's resources. We don't think about God's resources. We only focus on our resources and then we see that they're so, so small and we get all upset. Oh, do we worry. And we get all messed up. Well, now we come to verses 10 through 13 and we see the miracle itself. The 5,000 are fed. And notice in verse 10, in quiet and modest fashion, Jesus said to the disciples, have the people sit down. You see, uh, what I see here, Jesus wasn't disturbed by the circumstances at all. Let me tell you something this morning. He's not disturbed or surprised by your impossible situation. You see, you and I will never have a problem greater than than God's ability. So the people sat down as they were told, and there was much grass for them as we see to sit on. God provided a comfortable green carpet for the people to sit on. Now look at verse 11, if you will please. Verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to the disciples the disciples of those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. 
You can't fully appreciate this and unless you understand that word fish was the word used for a little pickle fish, like a sardine. It wasn't like a sea bass. The barley loaves were the size of large pancakes, flat, hard, brittle. They were really the bread of poor people. And what Jesus did is he took those little loaves and tiny fish in his hands and he pulled, folks, now listen, he pulled the impossibility. The multitudes were sitting along the slopes of the mountain and those disciples were busy passing out the food to dozens, then hundreds, and then ten thousands. And notice how verse 11 concludes. As much as they wanted. I see something here. I hope you get this because I think this is a key to our impossibilities. Notice that the disciples obeyed obeyed Jesus even though they didn't have any faith. You see that? They obeyed. They didn't have the faith. Now listen to me careful. Because if you miss this, you're going to miss it. Obedience is always the channel through which faith comes. Your faith and my faith will never go unless we're obeying the Lord. If you lost your faith and failed to obey, you have really had it, let me tell you. And I'll tell you why. Because the only way God can ever take you up to the point of new trust is for you to obey what He tells you to do. Here's your trust. Here's the test. You don't, your faith is weak. There's hardly any. You don't have any. What you, you can obey. And if you don't obey, you'll never move over. It's obeying. That's the key. And some of you are having impossibilities. You're having struggles. You're having trouble simply because you are not obeying God. That's your problem. You think it's because I don't have faith. No, you're not obeying. It's just doing what God wants you to do. Oh, I don't understand it. I don't, uh, you know, man, I, I, you just, let me tell you, you just obey and you're going to believe, and when you do, you're going to find out that God somehow will give you the faith that you need. Well, the miracle existed in the hands of Jesus. Not the distribution of the disciples, but I want you to know that the disciples obeyed. And Jesus, what He did is He used them. That to me is amazing. Through their obedience, they were used of God even though they didn't have great faith. Now, you may think you have so little. It's just impossible. I just can't do it. But remember, little is much in whose hands? In God's hands. So put whatever you think is impossible in His hands. Now we come to verses 12-13. through 13, And Jesus tells the disciples to gather the fragrance uh, of the, the feast. And notice in verse 12, the words, when they were filled. You see that? Just like the Lord, isn't it? Not only does He do the impossible, He does it abundantly, beyond all anyone could ever ask or think. He gave those people 
until they had plenty. You know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of going to Golden Ops or Golden uh, uh, Corral or Town Buffet. You ever gone there? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You take a plate, fill it up. You go back, take another plate. Five times later, you're ready to go again. You know what I mean? You just don't stop. And that's exactly what happened here. He performed his specialty. Think of it. He did the impossible. Think about it. The impossible was accomplished, and to Jesus, it was absolutely nothing. Didn't even break a, he didn't even break a sweat. You'll notice that when the people were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. They gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves and two fishes. You know, the lesson I think the disciples learned, or at least they maybe should have learned, is this. When you and I face an impossibility, let's leave it in the hands of the specialist. Refuse to calculate. Refuse to doubt. Refuse to work it out yourself. Refuse to worry or encourage others to worry with you. Stand against that. Instead, say something like this. Lord, I'm carrying around something that I just cannot handle, Lord. I, no way can I handle this. And because, Lord, you are and all, not only able, but you're also willing and anxious, Lord, would you take this off my hands? It's impossible to me. But it's nothing, Lord, with you. Now, um, I believe that too many times, though, our problem is that we hold on to our problems. Don't you think so? We don't leave them with the Lord until it's way, way too late. If you're a watch and you've got this real expensive watch that you're wearing, stops working. You don't sit down at home with a screwdriver and start working on it yourself. What you do is you take it to a specialist. Now, if you do work on, work on that watch and then take it to a specialist and you say, Sir, my watch stopped working. Oh, really? Let me take a look at it. What in the world have you done to this lovely watch? Well, the problem is that the Lord gets, I believe, so many times, all the leftovers. We make all the mistakes and get things all tied up in granny nuts. And then what we do is dump it all in the Lord's lap and say, okay, Lord, here it is, I give up. No, 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 no. Right at the first, say, it's impossible, Lord. I can't handle it. Lord, before I foul it up, would you take over? Would you take my impossibility? Let me tell you something. He is able to handle it. Remember that statement I gave at the beginning of the message? Listen to it again. We are all faced with a series of great opportunities. Brilliantly, though, disguised as impossible situations. Going into this new year, 
you and I will have opportunities to serve the Lord and live an abundant life. But if we are not careful, those opportunities will be disguised as impossible situations. Don't let that happen to you. Trust the Lord. Believe that somehow He will work it out. Put all your impossibilities in God's hands. So let me ask you, do you look at things in your life and say, there's just no way, no way. This is an impossibility. Now listen to me. As long as there is a great God who sits on the throne of heaven, there is a way. In fact, didn't Jesus himself say, I am the way? If you can get those impossibilities in his hands, I promise you he will handle them and take care of them and make a lot out of your little. So what do you need to bring to him this morning? What is your impossibility? Are you willing to take the problem to God? Are you willing to ask for His help? Are you willing to trust Him with the answer this morning? Let's bow our heads if we will, please. And as our heads are bowed, and the praise team comes, and they're going to be singing, it will be an opportunity for you this morning to come and bring your impossibilities to the Lord. Now, I know you can do that behind the pew or there sitting in the pew. I realize that. But there's just something about coming forward and kneeling down here at the altar and saying, Lord, man, this is an impossible situation that I, I, I have here. I don't know how in the world I can handle it. And I am literally turning this over to you. As your heads are bowed, you may not know Christ as your personal Savior. Do you know that it's impossible to go to heaven without Jesus Christ? Let me ask you a question. If you were to die this afternoon, where would you spend eternity? Do you really know Christ as your personal Savior? Are you sure that if you die, you're going to be with Him? He can make all the difference in the world. Let's all stand if we will, please, everyone standing. After I pray, I'm going to ask you to come and just bring your impossibilities here. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I'm going to ask you to put your faith and trust Him. There will be someone here to help you, our Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God that can take our impossibilities. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God that knows all about us and that you're a specialist. And Lord, in this auditorium, there may be some that think that whatever they're going through is an impossibility thing. It's just, it's just awful. It's just so hard to live with. Help them to just turn it over to you. It might be the very thing that you're trying to get them to draw them closer to you, Lord. And then, Lord, if there's someone here who don't know you, they're not sure of heaven. Help them to realize they're not here by accident. But they have an opportunity to put their faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray as our heads are bowed. Praise team, I'm going to ask you to start singing.
Would you just come and let God lead you?